Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com What would you have done if you had caught it and you had to get, would you just, would you decide to die or would you try to give it away to someone else? That's a dark question, man. Mm -hmm. We're about to find out who you are as a person. I am fairly certain I would not try to give it to anyone else. Okay. I would just like be constantly looking over my shoulder and eventually like it would i would let my guard slip and i would fucking die so there's very no, quickly there is I no way know. yeah i know i i would die too there's no way to 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 avoid the death really like you just you're on the run for the rest of your life well that's i mean that's the central metaphor right Oof. it's like at the end it's the two of them and it's following exactly them, mm-hmm. but they're a couple now. So it's mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, we're facing oblivion yep. together. together. And it's like, yeah, that's that's the Such a sweet the human experience. Um, yeah, that movie's fucking incredible. I love it so much. I think the metaphor is so potent. Mm-hmm. I think it's so scary. I, honestly, really? like that idea bothers me so Interesting. Much. It's like the perfect blend of a realistic setting and a unstoppable supernatural thing which is the scariest kind of horror to me that's always scarier to me than like a crazy person with a knife yeah absolutely absolutely that was the thing that i thought was remarkable about it was the fact that it is set in suburbia it's so rich though oh dude it's the metaphor is so rich because you immediately ask the question of what would you do what would you do if it was following you and this thing is not unbeatable If you had the money, if you had the resources, you could get on a plane, you could go to the other side of the world, you could have sex with a bunch of prostitutes, and it wouldn't get back to you. Right. You know, if you have the privilege and the economic resources and the clout, you could get rid of this problem. It's the fact that it's a bunch of 
teenagers living with their parents and they're on the gentrified side of Detroit. And they're like right on the edge of the bad parts yep. of town, essentially, where this thing probably came mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. And it's the entire implication of it is that this is something that preys on people who who are in some way vulnerable. And I think that's so interesting. That's so Great powerful. Movie. Oh, there's so much creepy stuff about it just around the edges. <laughs> you like, you know what it yes. is when it's exactly. in the pool, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so <laughs> fucked up. And there's something about indoor pools that I find very scary. Why? It's this buried childhood thing, I think, man, of just, I don't know, like learning how to swim in like a pool with a deep end that was enclosed hmm. at a very young age. I just think there's something about it, especially going to one at night. There's no one to look after you, you know, and if you drown in it, there's just nothing, nothing that can be done, nothing to save you. And something about that setting for that big sequence, I found so unnerving. I think this is a phobia that you just need to unpack. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, yeah, I just, I love this movie. Great movie. So much. So we get into this? It's just, it's just a scary idea oh, too, God. man. Like, you're just still you going. know what oh, happens. Yeah, you know yes. what happens to you when it catches up yeah, to you. Yeah, it's disgusting. You know? It's very, it's very scary. <laughs> that's that's much <laughs> scarier than just like dude with a machete. What an awful way to go. What an awful way to go. Ugh. Especially because it's always like it's going to appear as something that will be the worst mm-hmm. thing for you to have <laughs> sex with. You know, it's going to be your hot mom. That's the whole thing. It's like if you're super insecure about your mom being hot. It's going to show up as your mom and fuck you to death. You know, that's that's some cold shit, dude. That's cold. We're going to have to cut that part. (laughs) All right. I guess we should get into this. I guess we should start talking about, you know, the relevant thing at hand. The important stuff. Eh, I guess so. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. We are so happy to have you with us. I'm dragging my feet, actually. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is my co-host. He's the reason we all keep our doors locked at night, Mr. Alex Sinesi. How you doing, dude? I'm all right. I'm all right. You took me down a peg or two right there, right before I jumped back in. So I appreciate that. Thanks for just uh, slicing my Achilles tendons right before you uh, asked me to run that marathon with you. That's great. Anytime, bro. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we're doing another first season, y'all. I just, this is so foundational. This is one of the most foundational things we could possibly be talking about. We have to cover it and we have to cover it early. We do. You know, I feel like we're getting these first seasons out of the way now because it's we got to talk about all these foundational events in television that sort of created the landscape. And this is like one of the most influential ever. I mean, I think you could say this one has more to do with the current landscape of television than any other show that came out at the time than the Sopranos or any of the other like anti-hero focused shows that sort of blew up in the golden age. This really is the paradigm for where we are now. I would agree. Yeah. And I'm, I'm being so defensive about this because blue was getting on my shit again about it. She's like, so, so this is what you're going to do, huh? You're just, you're going to keep covering the first season of shows that peaked in season five. And I'm like, no, no, That's not the case. Not true at all. I don't know. 
she's a connoisseur. She's got wild opinions. I appreciate that about her. But to me, season five is like, I didn't know the show could be good again. That's what that season is like. It's like that season where you're like, oh, you still had some gas in the tank. I didn't think that was the case anymore. So just to go ahead and make sure that we get this out of the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. We're <laughs> exploring this out Lost this season. Oh, is that what we're yeah, doing? Yeah, we're talking okay. about Lost okay. this time around. Yeah, we're talking about Lost season. One. We are. The, the, I would say the foremost and probably the best season of the show overall. Dude, I 100% agree with you. Season one is the show that hooked us. It, it was the promise that was made. You know, it was the red carpet that was rolled out to this grand experience. And where it went from there, who can say? Who can say? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil my thoughts on the rest of the series. I'm not gonna make it clear how I feel about where the show went after season one. Uh, I'm just gonna say season one was fucking. Season great. one was great. I think it's one of those shows that just like The Sopranos gave birth to so many other shows, like ensemble casts that became like a big thing again. And I, I'm pretty yeah. sure that like to this day, there is a television show. Like what was it? Like I saw an ad for. Oh boy, I think it was called Manifest. There's a show about people on a plane oh, that yeah. looked again like a ensemble uh, drama. An obvious, obvious Lost, lost right? Exactly, exactly. For the for for like three or four years after Lost, mm -hmm. there were a shitload of Lost clones yep. that were just blatant, just yep. blatant. Like networks, can we get a bit of that shine? Can we grab a bit of that zeitgeist? Manifest is like 15 years later. Yeah, don't know what they're network doing. Just tries to do that again. Yeah, I think it was NBC. It so was. I, I thought yeah. that was super weird. That being said, uh, Manifest was number one on Netflix for like two months, dude. Yeah, it was insane. It's weird. Everyone on earth was watching that show, and I have no idea why. Yeah, we're not here to talk, dude. About maybe it. it's not. a secret masterpiece. No, I don't know, no, man. Nope, nope. I don't nope, know. I refuse it to might believe be. that. It's secret not. masterpiece. It's... I'm calling it. Okay, all right. You watch it, and then you tell me <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. Mm -hmm. So, just as we talked about. During the last series on The Sopranos, we're going to be taking apart the first season of Lost, and we're going to be doing two episodes per record, per episode. You know what? Just cut that part out. We're going to be doing two episodes per... Um, cut that part out, too. How am I going to say this? <laughs> Each episode of the podcast will cover two episodes of the series. Two hours of this network drama, because... They made 25 goddamn episodes a season for the first three seasons. So, you Crazy. know, we had to do something. We're, we're not going to cover a loss for nine months. We're going to condense it. And honestly, the way that the show is constructed, I think it kind of lends itself to being analyzed two batches at a time. Yeah. You know, because almost any two episodes you could take, you could say, oh, Here's them trying to do this with a flashback to explore this kind of character. Here's a flashback that's inserted kind of incidentally into an episode that's more about the island plot. I mean, there's so much variety there and there's so much of a sliding scale of effectiveness to the structure that it almost always benefits a discussion to have two to compare and contrast, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. All right. So quick question. How would you rank Seasons of Lost um, from least favorite to favorite? You know, I think the controversial thing that I would go with is I am a much bigger fan of season three than a lot of people. 
Oh, I am too. I actually, I love season three. I think season three was really, mm -hmm. really strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at the bottom for me, unquestionably is season two. Yep. Season two is absolutely Lindelof and company just running out of track and, and just spitballing. And I was so frustrated with that whole season. Even when it had a good episode, it made me mad because I was like, what are you doing having a good episode now, man? You just made me sit through all this trash and it's not going to connect. So, yeah. So I go two, six, four, five, three, one. Wow. Okay, man. Ours are yeah. very similar. I would yeah. say two, yeah. six, uh -huh. five, four, because four has the constant. And that's one of the greatest episodes of television ever. So I put it Constance there. Constant's really three. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Four and For then sure. three and then one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, the Constant's amazing. I think season five is a really strong season overall. I think most of season four is kind of bad, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. You're going for the high points. The high point, the, yeah. The constant is possibly like the best episode. One of, if not the, of the best whole episode show. Of, of the whole show, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I feel like there's a top three. And spoiler alerts, we're going to cover two of them in the next two weeks. Yay. <laughs> you know? It's going to be yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're covering one right now, and then we're going to cover the other one. And then there's the constant, you know? <laughs> uh, so take take what you will about you know where the show might have peaked right all right i mean yeah. we might as well get into talking about how the show actually started it's crazy it is it's crazy the craziest shit in the world it it reads like a literal bank heist like instead of producing television these producers literally went out and fucking robbed a network it's so cool i think it's interesting because everyone assumes that jj abrams is the mind the creative genius behind lost and to a certain extent that is true sort of but it's let's be honest it's lloyd braun lloyd braun is the power behind the throne here and i think his name gets overlooked constantly whenever anyone is talking about this show he he is the absolute he is the the turnkey to every question you have about how the show came to be mm -hmm. and why it turned into what it did mm -hmm. it all goes back to lloyd braun absolutely so i mean lloyd braun he was a chairman from abc from 2002 to 2004 and i think we talked about him during our last series um how he was involved in the creation of the sopranos as well Right. He um, was David Chase's agent. Yeah, yeah. And somehow he went from being an agent to a producer to a network head within like three years, mm -hmm. which is fucking nuts, man. Crazy. Yeah. Braun had his, his fingers on a number of different projects. So he worked on Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, America's Funniest Home Videos, According to Jim, Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, all of these on uh, ABC. I believe he also had a hand in um, Desperate Housewives as well. So basically that run that ABC had from, what, 2003 until like 2009, 2010, like he, he, he was at the genesis of all of those things. Desperate Housewives and Lost are the big ones because yeah. those are the two shows that he greenlit knowing he was fired mm -hmm. and they were literally the two shows that no one at that network wanted to make 
that no one at Disney had any interest in producing. And he literally pushed them out as a fuck you to Michael Eisner and Bob Iger just to be like, yeah, you know what? You gave me all this money. And instead of making 20 horrible reality TV shows, I'm going to make two great shows that are going to completely redefine network TV yeah. that are going to become gigantic hits and that are going to make your stupid network relevant again. That's the thing. And all of this only came to fruition after he was already gone. So I thought it was crazy just when he talked about how he was in Hawaii and was just like, huh, Lost seems like a great idea or a great name for a television show, and right. then decided that this was going to be a television show about people who are on an island after a plane crash. And then just his ability to will the smallest kernel of an idea from it, its, its inception all the way to production is fantastic and crazy. He had the title before anything else. He had the title because there was a reality show that was essentially it came out at the exact same time as the amazing race and it was the same concept as the amazing race and i think the amazing race just like got there a little earlier and captured people's attention first but it was a show called lost and it was about people getting dropped off in a remote corner of the world and having to use context clues to get their way back to civilization and he was like that's just a great fucking title. I'm just going to use that title at some point, knowing that this show is already DOA. Then having the title, I think the concept that came to him later was to do Castaway. Yes, as yes. A show. So uh, Castaway is this big inspiration for him, right? But I think what's so interesting about this pilot, about the time that it came out, about the sort of aesthetics that it's trafficking in is that this is very much, in my opinion, the first post 9-11 show to take the aesthetics of 9-11 and to completely convert them into escapist genre fare. Hmm. It's such a potent thing, this plane sure. crash. It's something that hits everyone on such a visceral emotional level, especially when this show mm -hmm. started. It was just like such an emotional nuclear option to be like, we're opening on a plane that is smashed into, you know, a completely incongruous environment and people are just like wandering around stunned. And the difference there from Castaway, which came out in 2000, that I think is so crucial is that Castaway has this incredible plane crash sequence in it with Tom Hanks. And the plane crash in that movie is very much conceptualized and visualized and directed as a very exotic experience for this character that in surviving it, he's like, oh, I got to go through this amazing odyssey where I saw this thing that nobody ever gets to see, where I got to see a plane turned inside out and I got to survive the whole process and it was kind of beautiful and scary and weird. And the way that that plane crash plays is so pre 9-11. You know what I'm mm. saying? It's so like this is an experience that you can't relate to and this character is going through it. And so it's kind of an amazing sort of transportative odyssey that he's on. Whereas in Lost, the plane crash is very much like this looks like something we've all seen on the news recently. Right. 
and it hits so so much differently i agree yeah i i think that's part of just like the ineffable power of this pilot man it's this this pilot just has a freaky magic to it man you watch it and you're just like this is something so special this is something so different even from the show that arose out of it you watch it and you're like i get how everyone on earth was just obsessed with this thing so um just yeah to get back to lloyd braun the thing is so he had this idea he had this idea of castaway the series he fucking greenlit it he gave it a massive budget i think he just took like a huge portion of whatever production funds he still had control over and he said i'm putting all of this into one episode because this pilot cost like 13 million dollars which was completely unheard of at the time easily the most expensive you know most expensive single unit of television ever yeah and he he greenlit it and he said to JJ and to Lindelof, look, we don't ha- really have a script. We don't really have a full concept for this series, but we have this basic idea. We have a bunch of money. You can go shoot this thing and it'll be absolutely like just show-stopping, just, just a jaw-dropping event. Spectacle TV. And then we can figure out the series that comes after it. That's how it went. They they completely hit the ground running. They had something like 10 weeks to both shoot and edit this pilot to get it ready to air. It, it was fucking crazy. So it's like he did this and he said, ABC is going to fire me. I'm a dead man walking. So if this show is pregnant enough is the way that he put it. If we are pregnant enough, they won't shut us down. And that's exactly how they did it. They just, they fucking rushed this thing into production so fast with the idea that it's like, if we make this gigantic expensive thing and the cameras are already rolling, they won't be able to like pry it away from us before it's a thing. And then, you know, if the pilot's good, we got a series and you guys will just go from there. Crazy. It is. It is. Yeah, I, I was just surprised at how uh, shoestring the entire production was in the sense of like, it wasn't as orchestrated or well-oiled as I thought. Only when it feels like the story isn't coming together do they bring in J.J. Abrams, who for the sense that I get is that he kind of re, I don't want to say reinvented, that might be too strong a word, but he definitely put his own brand and he shaped the pilot into what it was. He added a lot of the mystery elements. I think he took what Lloyd Braun said about like making it as big as possible and really brought that to life. So I think he threw in elements such as like the polar bear. Um, and you've seen JJ Abrams talk on uh, his Ted talk about the mystery box, right? Of course. Of course. course. Yeah. Yeah, Like, so you know exactly what I'm talking about there. Like that's just what it is that he does just brings in these mysteries that are tantalizing and you want to know all of the the secrets and know all of the answers to these secrets. And he stacked that into the pilot in these first two episodes. And I think that is what shaped the rest of the show because throughout the rest of the, the first three seasons, it's just, what are these, what are these questions? What is going on here? What is happening and I think he just kind of, J.J. Uh, Abrams imbued the show with that sort of, that spirit. When he came on, they still had this uh, script by a guy named Jeff Lieber, yeah. who 
Lloyd Braun had hired to write the pilot and Braun said he turned in his draft and I just hated it. Yeah. Like it was a complete disappointment for him. It was everything that everyone had said critically that it would be, I think, which is that it's both way too grim and also doesn't seem like it could really happen. His whole thing was, you know, at the end of act two, they're going to walk out on the beach and they're going to be bodies just floating in in the surf and it's just dead people everywhere and he's like and it was so realistic and then a shark attacks somebody at the start of the (laughs) next act it sounded so sort of grim dark and try hard while also not actually feeling like something that would really happen and i think where they got to with this pilot is so cool because they created a situation that feels very real that feels Mm -hmm. very realistic that feels like it plays by a set of rules that we understand but then when something bizarre happens it enters in a way where it's like as opposed to completely like dissipating your suspension of disbelief it's more like we believe all these characters we believe what's happened to them and now there's something weird happening right it's such a fine line to walk and this show does it so well at the start the fact that you believe these people just survived a plane crash and then by the end of the second part they find a fucking polar bear in the jungle and you're like this is crazy because we already we're already on board with these people we've we've already believed the situation that they're in so when there's a left turn it feels surprising as opposed to you just checking out like oh they're just inventing stupid stuff like shark attacks you know yeah. uh, to to string us along it's funny i think this is the show that really does cement and catapults jj abrams from being a television guy into being a movie guy because at this point what has he done he's done felicity mm-hmm. he's done alias and so he's already yeah. been in the business for like over a decade at this point whether it's through like composing or whether it is through um, writing treatments for both movies or show running. <laughs> That's right. His very first credit ever was yeah, he was the composer, composer on Night Beast, yes. which is a Don Dollar monster movie that he made like in his backyard in fucking Wisconsin. So he does Felicity. He Night Beast is the shit, y'all. You guys should seek it out. <laughs> it's great. Felicity with with Matt Reeves of all people, which I had no idea, and they did Alias. Yeah. And, and then I think, yeah, by, by the time he does Lost, it, which is a huge production, the pilot is massive and it feels very um, Spielberg. It's got Spielberg-esque qualities to it. I think that yeah. is what takes him from just being like a good TV guy to, oh, this guy should probably be helming movies and we need to get him in the studio to direct the next E.T. or something like that. Yeah. I mean, we might as well just get into the pilot itself. And it's no, funny. No, no, like, I, I got I got more thoughts on this, oh, though, no, for real, about, about JJ. What do you have to say? Okay, so I 100% agree with all you're saying. I think it's interesting, though. When JJ came in, he had been the showrunner on Alias, and Alias was one of only three major scripted dramas on ABC. Mm-hmm. It was Alias, it was The Practice, and it was NYPD Blue, which was in its last season. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty much all otherwise like reality TV, you know, and that was the environment that this show was coming into. It's not just that it was this huge pilot and it's not just that it was so cinematic. It's that it came in at a time where it felt like networks had almost forgotten 
that people could get really excited about a high quality dramatic TV show. And when it landed, it just, it, it was like a bomb that went off in this cultural landscape. And it completely refocused everyone's television obsessions, I would say. I would say that. And then I think also it, it, it just like the Sopranos put HBO on the map, I would say that Lost pulled ABC back into top competition with uh, oh, ABC yeah. and CBS. Um, because Out of for the a gutter. While, yeah. After, I mean, for what was on, I mean, outside of those three shows that you were like just listed, there's nothing going on with ABC and then Lost comes and it's just like a, it, like you said, a bomb goes off. Yeah, I mean, The Bachelor was their bread and butter. Yep, and yep. it's like comparatively, you know, this was the era of American Idol and Survivor. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. even though The Bachelor is still going, I feel like it was kind of small potatoes compared to those. Mm-hmm. And Survivor's another show that I think is really relevant kind of to, it to is. this whole thing. Because is. Survivor is kind of what this show turns into mm-hmm. in, a, in a fictionalized mm-hmm. context, right? Yeah. It, it's yeah. the same setting. It's the same, almost the same set of challenges. It's just kind of like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, like I could see anyone who had no idea about either Survivor or Lost watching both of them and thinking these two shows are potentially about the same thing. Right, right. And like with Survivor, the thing I always think of as being like that moment where it just hit critical mass in the culture was uh, that dude, Richard Hatch. Uh, oh, yeah, just like yeah. walking around naked on the beach. Mm-hmm. His pixelated junk was just all over TV for the better part of a year. You know what I'm saying? And the thing about Lost is it's kind of a version of that in that, no, no one's going to get naked on this show exactly. But it's like all of these people are letting all of their like dirty laundry hang out mm-hmm. like one after another. And essentially that's going to be part of the appeal is just seeing each one of them break down from whatever whatever like sort of buttoned up cultural context they came into this from and just being like all right here here's all my stuff here's all of the shit that i've been hanging on to here's all of my baggage you know yeah that's very reality tv it is oddly yeah very much so it's funny that you talk about yeah just baggage and just luggage everywhere there's just luggage dumped all over the shoreline just it's the true. wreckage. Yeah. I mean, and so the the pilot itself is actually not much happens in the pilot, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Uh, it's mm-hmm. funny because it feels like a lot happens and then nothing happens at the same time. There's a lot of spectacle. Um, there's some wonderful, crazy shots. There's a lot to see, but the story itself doesn't really progress. It's basically Flight 815 crashing on an island on a beach jack shepherd we you know we open up on him he's a man in a suit in the midst of like you know uh, shoots of bamboo he wakes up he sees a dog he walks out onto the beach and he just walks into utter chaos and from there he is trying to save people's lives he's trying to help a woman who is experiencing severe contractions a man gets sucked into an airplane propeller <laughs> like i remember seeing that the first time and thinking oh this this is for real this isn't a joke. What a great moment. Yeah, great moment. Great moment. Yeah. That that guy, to me, this is the thought I, I had watching it again, because I, I love that moment so much. That dude is totally the guy who hits the propeller of the Titanic when he falls off the side <laughs> of the boat and he, like, dings it and flips away. That guy is the television version 
of that dude whose death became this sort of odd meme (laughs) of spectacle where it's like, whoa, this one guy had something really crazy happen to him, you know, and he just stuck in the cultural consciousness. He's totally that guy. Absolutely. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, I mean, basically... <laughs> that's all I have. <laughs> that's yeah. all you got. I mean, but that's that's really about it, is that, you know, the whole thing happens... Yeah. The chaos somewhat subsides. We're introduced to the characters, you know, Jack Shepard, Kate, Sawyer, John Locke, Saeed, Charlie. We get to meet all of these characters. And then by nightfall, we're introduced to, you know, this spooky monster that is out in the woods that no one really knows what it is. And and that is that is about the majority of the first half uh, of the pilot. And the second half really isn't too much different. It's about the characters trying to see if they're going to get rescued to try to get off the island it, it fails miserably they get chased through throughout the woods so yeah it's it's all of them getting chased in the woods by the monster this mysterious unseen monster they they finally get to the the other half of the plane the other half of the wreckage the pilot is barely alive he dies at the hand of the monster you know in this like incredibly gruesome way i think that's greg gunberg who plays that role it is. Yeah, it's yeah, JJ's, yeah. Friend, JJ's friend, Greg Grunberg, Greg Grunberg. showing up to yeah. get eaten by the monster. Here's yep. a question. Do you think it would have been better had, because I read a number of things, one, which is that yeah. Michael Keaton was supposed to play Jack Shepard and that he was supposed to die. But then also I heard that Jack Shepard was supposed to die at the end of the first half of the pilot and that a couple of other characters were supposed to kind of take the forefront. And I think that the show would have benefited from that. I I think so too, possibly. I, I mean... It's tough. I I used to be very anti-Jack listeners. You really I, I were. Was very you really were. You him. hated him so much. Just I frothing really at the did. mouth. <laughs> frothing at the mouth. Mind. No, you're trying not. To keep not an then. On this watch. I really am. I really am. No, no, no. But now, now, on this rewatch, I, I appreciate not just what he brings to the pilot, but thinking about him surviving the end of pilot part one versus dying. I think if he had died where he he was intended to die which is that the end of part one would be kate walking out and she would see his headless body in the trees i think it actually would have weakened the pilot as a whole for the sake of a little bit of shock value because Hmm. jack is so our 
point of view character through this whole experience that it kind of would immediately have said, oh, this show isn't afraid to waste your time by like setting up this character, having you follow him. And then, oh no, he's dead. And he's not really the main character. I think. Hmm. Interesting. I think you can, you can say various criticisms of Jack as the show goes on, but I think immediately their instinct was we have this great pilot. We have this character. He's doing well. If we kill him here, it will actually like weaken what we've done so far. You know, I can yeah. I mean, I, I, no, I know, saying, you, but I disagree with that disagree. so much. Yeah, I just can't like I cannot get with that. I, I I'm not a Jack fan. Like he he's, sure, he's you know I'm not. I know. Well, I don't. You've know. already roasted me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a Jack fan. On this, this is my second rewatch. So yeah. I would say this time around, I'm definitely just not with it. it. The character does not really work for me. It's played well. Matthew Fox, I think, does a great job with what he's, it is that he's given. His performance is fucking fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Say. But just yeah, the, the the character as he's constructed is not particularly compelling, and everyone else seems so much more interesting. I was about to say that's really what this has come down to. Like you've got Sawyer, you've got Saeed, Kate. By the end of the pilot, we know that she's a criminal, and at first she seemed like you know the baby face character, and by the end of this, you know, mm. oh, she's on the freckle face the character. Oh God. Um, but yeah, like. So he is the least interesting person on the show. And so, yeah, that's that's why I, I can't get behind it. I think he bumps for you for the same reason that he bumps for me. That is the reason I had a problem with him originally. And, and you basically said it. But the problem with Jack is that the show telegraphs constantly. We know you love Jack but we want you to be interested in these other characters. And we're all feeling the opposite. We're all immediately like, all these other characters are interesting and we're spending so much time with this guy. And you are acting like he's the only thing we care about. And like, can we please like have a little screen time for Hurley or Saeed or any of these other great characters or like, you know, Sun and Jin. And yeah. it's like that assumption is what makes him so annoying. Yeah. Like if Jack was just another character and he wasn't so positioned as the audience surrogate, it wouldn't bother me so yeah. much. But it's just the fact that the show is like, it feels like such a network thing of being like, yeah, we have this handsome white dude in the lead. Of course, you're going to follow him. Exactly. And like, maybe we'll get you to read some subtitles, mm -hmm. you know, a few episodes mm -hmm. in. Oh, my God. Yep. Middle America might actually care about this, like, you know, brown person who we have on the island. And it's like, Jesus Christ, guys, come on. I think if they were going to make this show now, I don't think that Jack would be the main character. No, it would probably start with Kate. It would up. start with Kate. You can tell Kate is the character they built out the most before the pilot. Which is interesting because they cast Evangeline Lilly like at the last minute from what I heard. Yeah, at the last minute they cast her. You're you're right. So Evangeline Lilly came out of fucking nowhere. She was a, a Canadian actress who had literally done one commercial. Yeah. It just, just a complete Star is Born type performance. And... It's funny, I think she, out of anyone in the cast, is the one person who really could have had a movie star career after the show. And it really feels like she did not want it. She made a few movies and she was like, I'm good. I'm retired. I don't like fame. I don't like all the attention. 
I got my bag and I'm out. And Peter Jackson essentially like begged her to come play an elf in his Hobbit movie. And that's what sucked her back in. And now she's doing Marvel. She's doing Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like trapped back into it, but it's, it's odd that she got such a big bump from this show and kind of threw it away where there are so many other actors where it's like, they're giving these star making performances. And then Hollywood's like, Oh, cool. Josh Holloway. Do you want to play uh, an FBI agent who has like an app in his brain? <laughs> Cause that's all we want from you. All we want from you is some other like garbage network shit. We don't want to like put you in movies or anything. So many of the people off the show just, it felt like they were like instantly considered damaged goods because they'd been in a TV show. And to me, that's that's something that just speaks to how different the landscape still was from today, where it's like, you can have someone break out on a streaming show or do a great movie and then do a streaming show. And like, neither of those things fucks up their career progression at all. It's so different. I was thinking in terms of scenes that stand out the most, the short scene, I think that's towards the end of the first half of the pilot. It's the monster that shows up in the edge of the woods. It's at night. You see all of the characters assembling on the beach. There's a nice little shot of just like everyone who is going to be in the cast. It's a very like cool establishing shot. Yeah. That is probably the most notable scene for me. I would say so. It's just very grand, very grand and very well done. What would you say is, is your most notable scene? I don't know about notable scene, just just to sort of piggyback off what you were saying. This pilot looks so good, yep. dude. Yeah. It's shot by Larry Fong, who at the time was a cinematographer of music videos who hadn't really done anything else. But he'd shot some big music videos. He did uh Iris for the Goo Goo Dolls. And he shot this, and I still think this pilot just looks amazing. Specifically, the first half of the pilot looks mm-hmm. fucking incredible. They're sort of creating the visual language of a TV show in the second half of the pilot. It's much more like medium shots with a bunch of characters stacked up and a lot of coverage. And it doesn't have the rawness, the many close-ups, the steady cam following shots of the first half that are so compelling. I mean, I think it's it's a great looking show the whole way through, but uh, the, the first hour of the pilot is just some of the best looking TV ever. Yeah. But yeah, man, I mean, it's tough. As far as favorite scenes go, I I really love the whole sequence of them going into the cockpit. Mm, okay, yeah, it's a good one. Everything that happens is a little jump scare. Yeah. And then it culminates with the monster attacking them. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's great. Uh, but really, I'm fucking crazy to say anything other than the opening few minutes. Like the... The opening is the thing. It's the thing. It is. You're right. Jack walking out onto the beach is so great. It's one of the greatest openings to any TV series ever. It's so powerful. It's like we were saying earlier about how this show just came together kind of out of nowhere. And it's really just like the virtuosity of JJ's directing that got this thing over. Mm -hmm. If this thing had not been directed within an inch of its life, if they hadn't bought this carcass of a plane and cut it up and strewn it all over this beach and had all these great actors running around in the midst of this chaos that's shot so well, it it wouldn't have had the same impact. You know, it could have just really been edgy, realistic Gilligan's Island riff from the very start in in lesser hands. One thing I want to mention is like, the sound design on these episodes is absolutely extraordinary. 
one of the greatest things that they do as far as sound design goes is they hide the plane crash from you completely right until you see it right gives the opening moments with jack such a like disconnected hallucinatory mm-hmm. vibe and then when you first start to hear that jet propeller that jet turbine winding up and then shutting off and then winding up and shutting off again and you see people you know running away and you hear the screams then suddenly it's like we've gone from this completely bizarre disconnected moment into heart-stopping chaos and the sound is totally what draws you in the sound of the monster is just unbelievable too it's good stuff it promises so much it promises so much i i want to ask you dude watching the pilot for the first time when you heard the monster and when you got these glimpses of like trees shifting or like a shadow falling over the cockpit what did you think the monster was first thought yeah Mm, i'm pretty sure i thought it was like some sort of dinosaur dude total robot t-rex of course like no question like the vibe is completely robot tyrannosaurus it is yes no so arguments. It's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the monster, as we know, uh, evolves. It becomes the central mystery of the show, and it it changes in conception, I would say, a little as it goes on. It's just clearly a tall mechanical thing in this episode. That's all I'm saying. I would say <laughs> I'm just going to piggyback <laughs> off of that, and I'm going to say that I think the sound design, as you said, is underrated. Yeah. I think mysteries in general are overrated in this pilot just the idea or just stuffing them stuffing the pilot and then stuffing the rest of the season with mysteries might not have been the way to go and i'd say that was an on a second rewatch yeah i i, I think that it it, it it turns out to be overrated but i mean that was that was the, that drug was the that thing got us hooked. Yeah, that's what got you hooked it was jj's mystery box shenanigans totally yep. but i mean as we know too part of it was just functional that they didn't know what was happening at all yeah they showed up they hit the ground running and they were like we don't know who these characters are we don't know where they are we don't know anything except that they are stuck here and so everything has to be mysterious by design yeah i think it's it's super interesting too like you watch the first half of the pilot especially and you realize now in hindsight oh none of these actors know who their characters are and you see a lot of them like either sinking or swimming on mm-hmm. that basis mm-hmm. you see some of them like harold perrineau who had been just killing it on oz and in the matrix sequels and he directly goes on to lost after this and it's like you can tell he has no character in the pilot he is not shaded in at all no. except that he has a son and he's doing so much like you're immediately like a lot of heavy this guy feels there. fully fleshed out Whereas Ian Summerholder, on the other hand, like immediately stuck out to me on this watch as like, this guy has no character and he's also super miscast. Mm. He's too old for the character he's playing. He's so absurdly handsome in a way that is just distracting from what he's supposed to be. And you're just immediately like, they cast a guy and they didn't know what he was going to do. And they gave him some lines and he's not filling in the gaps mm-hmm. and everything about him is bumping is immediately like distracting you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, well, both of them are basically Boone and Shannon. Yeah. There's, there's, just, there's not too much going on with them. Frankly, you could take them both out of the pilot and nothing would change. 
I think Maggie Grace is doing she's better great. work at least. Yeah. I, I think she's very good. But yeah, I mean, she she basically has one note to play right yeah. now. And that's the case. A lot of the characters have one note at yeah. most. Like uh, Josh Holloway said, there's that great shot of him sitting in like a crescent curve of a turbine, like looking at a note. And uh, he he said, all right, so, so what am I looking at? What am I feeling? What am I thinking? And JJ was just like, I, I don't know, um, Damon, what do, you, what do you think? And Damon's like, uh, it's your suicide note go and that's what it is they wow. literally just like spitballed that on the spot and he's like okay i'm looking at my suicide note and they fill all that in with his character later but like it, there there was just no plan no plan you know yeah, yeah. there was uh, someone asking damon lindelof about hey it'd be great to know how the show is going to end and i think his quote was it would be great if i know how episode four was going right. to end right. so yeah it yeah. was pretty clear they had no idea about where the show was going to go and we're definitely making it up uh, on the yeah. fly what would you say? I, I, oh, I, I'm sorry, man. I, uh, I, I just, I gotta, I gotta keep going. Uh, okay, come on, come on. Oh, God, dude. come on. We'll talk I know, about it. It's come so on. thorny. No, There's no, so much. No, I'll just no. say we are not here to bury Damon Lindelof. I am a Damon Lindelof fan. I would even say at this point, I'm probably something of a Damon Lindelof apologist. I think he's super talented. And I think not unlike JJ, he is totally a guy who showed up who is virtuoso who was like if you stop tap dancing we're gonna shoot you in the head and he pulled a fucking lords the dance he was a fucking michael flatley on this one. oh my he gosh was. all right just yeah just get off of him get off <laughs> okay. of him all right all right you got some power rankings going oh man Power rankings are are interesting here, bro, because this is very much a show that invites you to rank every character. Oh, I'm not doing that. No. It's very much no. a show. It's a, no, but it's very much a show that's about hierarchy. That's about status. That's about who's got the big dick in this scene. And then somebody else is like, wait a minute. <laughs> I got a new dick since the last time you saw me. Check this out. You know, it's like they're constantly pulling out new dicks. Maybe Kate comes in and she's like, hey, I just got my dick out of handcuffs. Check this out. And everybody's like, oh, my God. You don't have your power rankings. Do different you? situation. You're just I stalling, don't, aren't I don't. you? All right. Here, <laughs> I'll go. Ahead. I'll go. God. <laughs> Terrible. So I'd say at five, I'm going to go with beaches. Maybe Hawaii specifically, but I'm going to go with Hawaii at five. I'm going to go with just someone who makes a big impression right off the bat, given he doesn't have a lot to do, but I think Hurley, yeah. I'm putting Hurley at four. Oh, yeah. Hurley at four. You know you know what his name was in the script, right? Redshirt. Redshirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. He was literally like dead meat yeah. in the pilot script. At one point, Sawyer was supposed to push him off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> like, God, this show has been so dark so soon. The show was just disrespecting him left and right. And he literally, right, he was right, another right. guy. He showed up right. and he did so well. You yeah. Know? All right. At three, I'm going to put Sawyer. Yeah. Three Sawyer, two Kate, one the monster. Yeah. Yeah. The monster. Uh, the, monster the monster's got to be number one. It is. I'm with you. Okay. So yeah, for me, let's see. You know, at five, I'm going to put Rose. Because oh, Rose wow. in this pilot is like the consummate survivor. She is. 
she was dead on that beach. Yeah. They CPR'd her back to life and she just clings to whatever life she's got left. Her husband is almost certainly dead. And it's just, I mean, she's that character who's like, no, I got to keep the faith alive. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got to, I got to hold on to everything I can. And knowing that her husband being dead would completely break her. The fact that she's like, no, I'm just going to assume that he's alive and i'm gonna like carry on with that mm-hmm. i'm gonna carry on just trying to live one breath to the next it's impressive yeah all right so rose who's next charlie okay because charlie <clears throat> is the guy in this who shows up who is high out of his mind clearly from the very first moment we see him mm-hmm. who is already starting to sweat by the time he decides to go on this journey because, you know, he doesn't want to stand in one place, as he puts it. And yep. obviously he found some like stash of his drugs mm-hmm. on the plane and, you know, was able to like just get right again. And I, I think he's got to go at four there because clearly he's like, I got my own priorities. I showed up here. Let me get back to living my life, you know? (laughs) And he does that before anybody. (laughs) That's true. Everybody else is like, oh, we're getting rescued. Let's just chill out and wait. Things will sort themselves out. And he's like, no, I'm fucked up. I'm going to get fucked up again. I'm going to start singing my nice singles. And I'm going to talk about how the band is stronger than ever. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this band... This band is done. This band was waiting for an excuse to break up. And then they heard, oh man, I, I guess I guess we'll hold off on that EP considering our lead singer just exploded oh, over God. the, you know, Pacific. <laughs> right. What's number three? <laughs> uh, so at number three, I'm going to put Kate because okay. Kate is at a real inflection point here. She just escaped from handcuffs. She's got this U.S. Marshal who's touch or go, whether he survives, at which point she'll just be a fugitive from justice again. And she has this total crisis from con- of confidence, and it's Jack's counting technique that fucking gets her through it. So I, I got to put her right there. All right. Uh, I'm going to put Jack at two. Uh, Mm -hmm. right above her because this is a guy who he's wounded from the very first moment we see him he's completely out of his element but he immediately starts setting goals and going after them he's taking the checklist approach to this right now and i gotta respect that i gotta respect where he's coming from all right at one and matthew fox is great i will say and uh i totally see where you're coming from with the monster the monster is clearly like the impetus for the show expanding out into this grander mystery. But uh, we know so little about the monster. For all we know, the monster is a remote control T-Rex that Vincent is piloting around with a friggin' remote on his collar. Do you remember there was some theory about Vincent actually being like the hidden Sith master? Like him being the actual like force behind everything? This was a theory that popped up online. I swear to God. I I don't remember that. But now that you've told it to me, I think that now I I subscribe to that theory. (laughs) These are the straws that people were grasping at. Because it's like the first thing he sees is this golden retriever running out of the bamboo shoots. Maybe that's the secret Sith Lord. What's their number one? (laughs) So my number one is going to be Locke. Because Mm. Locke is so wonderful in this pilot. We're going to learn more about him but he is just the guy who is pure energy 
And as great as the opening moments are, if I had to single out one moment, not even a scene, but a moment as my favorite thing in this pilot, it's when he smiles with the fucking orange in the his The orange mouth. peel. Ugh. It's so strange. It's so strange. On any other show, especially on a network show, I think he would do that and Kate would have laughed. Yeah. I think Kate would have been charmed by it and it would have gotten her over the trauma of this moment where she has to steal shoes off a dead person. And instead, she finds it off-putting. It's which creepy. is how someone would actually yeah. react. It's creepy. It's great. But like it, the funny, the thing that I think that's so odd about that moment is that I don't even know if he's aware that he's got the peel in his mouth or how he appears. Because I remember watching that, I was just thinking, does he know what he looks like in this moment? Would he have done that had he known that, like, with the orange peel in his mouth, it looks disturbing? Or is he, like, or is he just not that aware? He thinks it's a moment where he can add some levity. I, I guess he so. He's telling a joke at a It's point. a clown. It, yeah, it's, it's a moment yeah. of him just being like a clown, but it just, yeah. it, it is completely flat. It's so it's creepy. It's completely inappropriate. Yeah. And yet at the same time, you kind of like him for doing it because it's like, at least somebody's trying. At least somebody's out here not just giving in to the despair of the situation. And you're mm. like, that guy's weird. I got to keep my eye on him, but yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. It's just, it's an incredible moment. And like I said, I mean, so much of it is that the fact that Kate does not find it charming, the fact that she's weirded out is what makes it so good. Yep. The fact that the show is like immediately having you reconsider him mm -hmm. and everything going on around them. Yeah. It's great. No, it's, it's good. You know what time it is, right? Oh man. Yeah, it's time. <sighs> okay. Okay. Is Are there, you ready? is there anything else? Is there anything else? I feel like we barely talked about the second part of the pilot. I mean, okay. Okay. I'll just say this. I'll say this. So the second part of the pilot it's just like all of these disconnected scenes of there's the nothing going on in the second part mini, of the pilot. It's true. It's just it's just mini flashbacks that are literally setting up where these people were sitting when the plane mm -hmm. went down and kind of like a very, very basic sketch of them. The interesting thing about it is so Dominic Monaghan has two buttons on acts. He has a button on the reveal of the monster where he says, Terrific. And it's a great line reading and it takes us out to commercial and he, he fucking kills that. And then the other one is the very end of pilot part yes, two. That's great. Another great moment after they get the distress signal and he says, guys, where are we? And that line, <laughs> that line reading, that close wait, up. We re read that again. Say that again. <laughs> no, I heard, you. wait, was that an accent? Yet. Was that an accent? I heard that was a bit of an accent. Oh, okay. I was doing a little, I was a little doing a little monogan, you know? <laughs> all right, all right. <sighs> so that moment and that shot was what the network sold this show on. That mm. was the main thing. I'm sure you remember all of the commercials on TV at the time were all just Dominic Monaghan. Where are we? Where are we? Just over and over again, just that moment. You know why, right? No, because the networks were like, oh, yeah, he's the only person out of this cast who's kind of famous. Mm, yeah, they were selling it on. We got this guy from Lord, Lord of the of Rings, Rings. Yeah. who is very confused. Yep. So that leads me to something that I, I, I just I think is funny. And I'm sure you have many, many thoughts on this, too. The odd relationship that the entire cast of Lord of the Rings, but especially the Hobbits had with any sort of job, any sort of attempt at fame or any sort of attempt at a movie star vehicle post that. Because the thing about it is 
they're using this incredible technology that's shrinking them down, that's making them seem like completely different kinds of people. And they're in this incredibly realized fantasy world. And it's like casting any one of those guys in something else, they retain so little shine, so little juice as movie stars from being in those movies. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing. Cause I love Lord of the Rings so much. And I think about it and I'm like, I see Dominic Monaghan in this and I do not connect Charlie to Mary Doc Brandy Buck at all. Right. I, it's just, it's, he's so out of this context. And I mean, it's the same thing with Sean Astin. I mean, he's, he was Rudy at least before he was Sam, but it's like, you see Sean Astin and stuff and you don't immediately think Sam, you know, I mean, Elijah Wood is maybe the one case because he was the most famous beforehand, but uh even him, you know, it's like you can't pull these guys out of that context and be like, oh, yeah, here's the movie star in our show. It's Mary from Lord of the Rings. That's that's just a guy like that's just a guy with short hair and kind of a posh accent. It, it does not it does not translate. You, you see what I'm saying? Where's your question here? My thing is just I find it fascinating because I think all of the hobbits and most of the actors in Lord of the Rings are giving movie star performances right. and basically none of them became movie stars. And yeah. I think the reason is because the illusion with those movies is so complete. The context that they're placed in is so complete that anytime you see them after that, it's like they're starting from scratch again. Hmm. The one who kind of had a run at it was Vigo. And it's because in Lord of the Rings, he's playing a tall leading man action right. hero. Right. Character. Well, so I mean, you let's can just imagine him <clears throat> well, doing I, I, another movie like I, that. I would also know? say I disagree with you because I would say that Orlando Bloom had an incredibly successful career with Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean, that movie made billions and billions of dollars. And he is very yeah. like, he is associated with okay, that Okay, but he is yeah. the boring Stiff it doesn't matter it doesn't matter no though. one cares about that's not I what mean, your like, question is that is the johnny depp so, show of it's course, not the but, orlando bloom as your but movie your question is show. whether or not they had like a successful bro, career bro. and that's definitely what he did who went to see pirates 2 being like oh man gotta get my orlando bloom fix plenty of people did no yeah, bullshit. yeah plenty uh, of people did uh, i mean i guess he was super hot like yeah he was a like, heartthrob in the early 2000s come on man he he was providing exactly no movie star juice to the dude he was in kingdom of heaven with ridley scott like come on you're forgetting this guy's like he has plenty of films that he did that's another one like the most anonymous lead performance in a ridley scott movie like maybe ever right isn't the whole problem with that movie that it stars orlando bloom i think you're just trying to argue with me and i think i'm not trying to argue with you my point is okay Pure charisma, like here's an Orlando Bloom vehicle for the ladies who love him. Elizabeth Town. Yes. <laughs> right. Yep. I mean, come yep. on, man. Mm-hmm. I mean that, yeah. that 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 guy had a pretty <laughs> substantial career post Lord of the Rings. Why are we talking about this? What are we doing? Anyway. Because because Dominic Monaghan was totally what they sold the show on. Sure. And but the other thing is this, like Mariadoc Brandy Buck is not a particularly uh, compelling or prominent role in the Lord of the Rings. Oh, it's not like, he's no, great. no, he's not like dude, after the first movie, after the fellowship, he is tied up and he's doing nothing in the second one. And in bro, the third bro, one, he does bro, even less. He, 
he gets the Ents to destroy oh Isengard. But Man, you know did you what? forget? Dude, did you, did you, forget, you know what? Bro? That's the most boring. Like the it's the most general. boring part of the movie. It's the most boring part of the film. No one cares about that. <laughs> Everyone cares about Vigo Mortensen and Orlando Bloom doing exciting stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. he's got nothing going yeah, on in that film. Have, and it, yeah, there's nothing yeah. going on in that. All right. Yeah. You know what? It's time for name that episode. <laughs> All <That's> right. <laughs> All right. You'll get three this time. Oh, see, yeah. you're mm -hmm. just placating me now. Yep, exactly. Because I want to talk about Lord of the Rings more. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, you know, I could go uh -huh. on. I could go oh, on. I know. Oh, I know. Um, okay, here we go. Listeners, just in case you didn't know, Name That Episode is a great, great game that we have here on the pod. And it's just Alex spouting off television nonsense that is stuck in his brain. I am going to describe an episode of television, read a short synopsis of the episode, and Alex is going to see if he knows a title. Here we go. Question or TV show one. Is this question about uh, who killed the Witch King of Angmar? Because I think you could argue it was Mary Doc Brandybuck, you know, who stabbed I him think... and broke the seal of magic around him with his mithril blade, you know? I'm just saying. I give that KO to Eowyn. <laughs> uh, so here we go. Yeah, no, that's yeah. true. Mm -hmm. That's true. This season five episode of Lost was co-written by famous comic book writer Brian K. Vaughn and Melinda oh, yeah. Taylor as well. In this episode, Ben Linus and Jack continue a quest to reunite the Oceanic Six. Kate attempts to determine the identity of the mysterious person requesting a maternity test. Oh, shit. <sighs> Damn, dude. No, I don't know it. I don't All right. know it. It is called <laughs> The Little Prince. Oh, damn, dude. One of my favorite books of all time, man. <laughs> oh, all you right. couldn't have given me a, like, no. you know, mm -hmm. this episode title references a book by uh, <laughs> nope. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Nope. You know, nope. you couldn't have said something like that. None that would have been uh, enough of a hint, nah. right? Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Here we go. Number two. In this season two episode of Arrested Development, Lucille Bluth hires a detective to find George Sr., who has fled to Mexico, while Michael also attempts... Yes, love that guy. <laughs> Gene Parmesan. <laughs> Michael also attempts to find his father and gets to know his son's girlfriend, Anne, or Egg. Uh, and Job Ice. hires Ice the Bounty Hunter to follow Michael. <laughs> Ice. Ice is great. Oh, man. Um, damn. I want to say, is it is it called like the Immaculate Conception or no. something like that? Mm -mm. Fuck. Ah, oh, I know this episode. I know this title too. Ah, so so this is where um, George Senior is in Mexico. Yeah, he's right? in Mexico, mm -hmm. and he's hiding out with Kitty. I believe so. Yeah. Oh God! And do, is this the episode with the cornballer? I don't. Mm, I can't say. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I can't remember. I want to say it has the cornballer is the like the smoking gun yeah, in it, right? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, but yeah. I do remember that uh, plot device. Yeah. Oh, <gasps> is it called Hermanos? It is not. That's a great. God guess. damn it! That's a great. Oh guess. man! Guess. I would guess that too. Ah, 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 ah. Okay, okay. Um. Hmm. 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 It's not Hermanos. I could have sworn it was Hermanos. Is it Amigos? Ding, 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 ding. Oh, yes. there thank you go. God, dude. Yeah. Amigos. Great. Is episode. there another episode called Hermanos? I 
feel like there or is, is that there just is... like the thread the, yeah. of that one episode mm-hmm. fuck mm-hmm. yeah yeah the Immaculate Election is one of the, the Immaculate episodes. Election. That's yeah. what I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. That's the the Steve Holt is a mm-hmm. bastard yeah. episode. That's <laughs> your personal favorite, maybe. Yes, I love that episode. It's incredible. It's a flawless piece of television. Uh, all right. Nice. Number three. All right. This season five episode of The Wire is the only episode of television directed by Dominic West, during which Omar Little executes Savino Bratton. Clay Davis oh, is acquitted, shit. and Kima Greggs recites "Goodnight Clay Moon" Davis. to her ex-partner's son. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> He's the what best, a great dude. character. You fucking rules, man. Oh my god. Okay, okay, okay. The only episode directed by Dominic West. Mm-hmm. Huh. It might be his That's only episode of television he's ever directed. It might be the only thing he's ever. Yeah, directed, I think so. Period, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. That guy. <laughs> McNutty. <laughs> I kind of I kind of have Jack feelings about him. I gotta be honest. Oh whatever. He's, I like I'm all about McNutty. He's he's way better, especially yeah. in season one. But yeah. like as that show goes on, it's a little like what what are we doing? Whatever, here? you're stalling. Come on, what's the what are come we on doing now? here? Fuck. Okay. Um hmm. Mm-hmm, hmm. Can you give me any hint? It's any one hint word about it. One word. Oh, so it doesn't have a V in it, nope. like most of the other Wire titles. That no. was a hint you gave me once. It was yeah, it like, did. it's two it's two words, and the first is the. It's like, yeah. oh, thanks, bro. <laughs> it's one word. Um, any, like, context about the word? Is it, like, a word that's used often? So it's like show? a word that references um, when you've been, when you've been fleeced, when you've been played. It's like when you get got. Mm-hmm. But it's not that. I don't know, man. What is it? Giving up. It's so. All right. Yeah. It's uh. It's what? called what? It's uh. What? <laughs> it's called took. Took. Yeah. Just took. Oh. Yeah. Oh man. Crazy. I'm a fool of a took, yeah. man. <laughs> ah. I feel like just a total fucking like Pippin right now. It's all right. Dropping a fucking skeleton down a well, bro. You know what's so funny? I was just thinking that uh, the closing to the second half of the pilot, that reminded me a lot of the scene in Balin's tomb. Just when they're all, you know, crouched around this transceiver and they're just kind of like listening to this creepy message. And Mm -hmm. it just feels a lot like that moment in the fellowship where they're all just like reading like a ghost story. Like it's just like a ghost story is being told and everyone is creeped out. Great moment. Love it. I love drawing you back into some hot Lord of the Rings discussion. Anyway. So great. <laughs> Any more thoughts yeah. on this? Oh, I mean, so many more. I feel like I feel like there's so much more to get to. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to talk about all of the characters and actors in depth as we go on. But, you know, it's funny. It's like funny to watch the pilot again and be like, this is such an incredible outpouring of talent. And even if we didn't always love where the show went from here, I just have to respect the virtuosity, man. I just have to respect that, you know, everybody showed up and it's like, all right, we got to sing for our supper. Yeah. And uh, I guess one final note to close on it is uh, just a funny little thing, but Lloyd Braun was so instrumental in getting this thing off the ground. And I think it was probably a big part of the reason that 
um, Iger and Eisner were like, okay, this guy's definitely fired. Mm. <laughs> he just greenlit a $13 million pilot. There's no way he can recover from this. He's, he's out. Yeah. So the voice that says previously on lost mm. every episode is Lloyd mm-hmm. Brown. Mm-hmm. It's funny because he sounds exactly like Carlton Cuse. Yeah. And I always assumed it was Carlton Cuse's voice yeah. <laughs> on it, but it's Lloyd Braun. And that was the thing that JJ did was he he came to Braun and he said, man, you are so instrumental in this. I want there to be like a tiny piece of you. I want yeah. you to have a signature on this show the whole way through. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just think that was a cool fucking thing that JJ did. He reached out and uh, just, just cemented this guy's legacy uh even you know although these shows that he greenlit would do so even more i mean abc should be so grateful to this guy for greenlighting these things on his way out the door because they completely changed the network and changed television for the next decade absolutely absolutely yeah man well, it's been good, man. It's been good talking with you about this. I I feel like equal parts admiration and frustration, and it's all just boiling around in this cauldron, and I can't wait to get into it more with you this season. Absolutely. But uh, for now, I'll just say, uh, if you want to email us some questions, you can hit us up at goatseasonpod at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram, at goatseasonpod, which will have posts updates about new episodes coming out great great getty images of goats that i so thoroughly enjoy oh yeah yeah you know some hot goat content over there and uh then uh, i'd also just like to say uh thanks to janice o'leary for our beautiful artwork it brings a smile to my face every time i see it anytime i open up the apple podcast app uh, I want to thank Josh Sullivan for our intro music and Battlequake for our outro, man. And uh, can't wait to hang out again. Do this again next week, man. Peace. Peace. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.